0: When I was a young man about 27 years old, I experienced a typhoon. I was at sea on a Navy destroyer. Though it was well built, it was tossed about by the cyclonic storm as if it was insignificant against the massive waves and deep troughs of the Pacific Ocean. I counted on the strength of that ship and the skill of the captain and the crew to pilot the ship. Nothing they could do, however, could take away the fearful edge, the knowledge that one rogue wave could send over 200 men to their death. So I did my part. I prayed. I asked God to preserve our lives. The waves did not suddenly calm. The ship continued to be battered for hours as men bleary-eyed from their intensive watches guided the warship through the tempest. My faith was that God knew right where we were and that He was with us and that He cared. Are you going through a storm today? This is nothing but grace. I'm Dr. Chuck McGathey, pastor of a group of Christ followers called First Baptist Church of Madison, North Carolina. We welcome you to church. This. Is a time for worship and Bible study as we present for you a message of God's grace, a message that will inspire your hearts and give you hope. Today, you will not only hear from me, but from my colleague, Reverend Marsha McQueen. You will be impressed by the teaching that she offers as Bible study from Nurturing Faith. Our church, First Baptist Church of Madison, is a church I am proud of. I am myself experiencing deep grief following the unexpected death of my wife two weeks ago. I do not know how I could make it without my faith and the love and support of God's people at First Baptist Church. Now, I do not know what you are going through today, but I do know that many, many hearing my voice are also suffering Our folks love you. Our folks welcome you. We do not build walls but bridges. We care about you and we want you to consider yourself one of us. Come by the church office anytime, day or night. You can receive a free copy of the September-October Nurturing Faith Journal and Bible Study available for you in a plastic bin on a table just outside our office door. If you cannot come to receive your copy but want one, write me at cpmcgathy at yahoo.com, at yahoo.com, or call the church office and leave a message at 336-548-6112. Please consider us your friend And we will gladly consider you part of this loving fellowship at any level in which you are comfortable. We mean that. So let us know about you. I also want everyone to know you may listen again to this broadcast or recommend it to a friend by going to our website at www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.org. That's all spelled out. Firstbaptistchurchofmadison.org. Once there, click on the link for the Nothing But Grace podcast. Folks, Nothing But Grace podcast is also available on Spotify, Google, and other podcast platforms, but the easiest way is through our website, www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.org. Before I share with you my sermon for this morning, I'd like to invite you into a moment of peace and preparation by listening to the First Baptist Church Choir sing like a river in my soul. Don't know why There's no sun up in the sky Stormy weather Thus begins the famous jazz standard. It is not merely the sentiments of a lonely heart pining away for a lost love. It is a reflection of our human emotions about all of life. It is about how quickly Our feelings can change just as quickly as the weather. North Carolina's singer-songwriter James Taylor put it quite well when he lamented, I've seen fire and I've seen rain. I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end. And I've seen lonely times when I could not find a friend. The emotional storms of life rage out of control and threaten our spiritual well-being but there is a way to survive if we will learn from Jesus through the years I've been fascinated watching storms approach over the horizon one of my favorite memories of my wife Dawn was her standing on the pier dancing in a thunderstorm. We thought she was a bit crazy. We were right, but she was also full of life. For her, it was a moment not to be missed. At my mother's home on Choctahatchee Bay in Florida, you can see the summer storms when they come inland from the sea. Rainfall, waves, thunder and lightning may be miles and hours away, but you know they are headed your way. Feeling the wind increasing in the first drops of stinging rain is actually quite thrilling. It is good to know that retreat to the safety of her brick house is only a few feet away. If, however, you want to gain a different perspective, try experiencing a storm in a vessel at sea. Helmar Heckel is a pastor in Minnesota. In an account of his life, he illustrates how nature's storms and life's storms are related, he compares this to a response of faith. In December 1958, Helmar set sail on a ship from Bremerhaven, Germany, to come to the United States. Bremerhaven is located on the northern coast of Germany on the North Sea. The North Sea in December is a fearsome place. Heckel tells of huge waves buffeting the ship. He says that every day seemed the same as they proceeded from the North Sea into the Atlantic Ocean. As each day slowly passed, they saw only the churning water to the north, the south, the east, and the west. The ship and passengers were strained and weakened by the elements. The security of dry land became for them a dream, an image of intense longing branded in their brains. Their reality, for now, was the turbulent ocean. But five days later, that changed. There was still water to the east and to the south, but in the west they could see the Statue of Liberty gleaming in the sun, beckoning them home, Heckel says, walking by faith is like that. Waves of opposition battle us with no change in sight. In all directions, there seems to be nothing with the Lord seemingly asleep until a special day arrives, revealing that we have been moving according to plan. When Heckel says moving according to plan, he means God's plan. Just as there was a helmsman guiding Heckel's ship, so also God was guiding Heckel's life. His life has not always been smooth sailing, but God has always seen him through to a place where the sun is shining. It is very much as my son Michael reminded me recently, smooth seas never made for a skillful sailor. The disciples or learners who followed Jesus of Nazareth included several who were experienced with storms upon the water. In the large lake known as Tiberius by the Romans and as the Sea of Galilee by the locals, sudden, powerful winds would sweep down unimpeded by foliage from bare desert mountains and quickly create a watery death trap. These winds would push the water into the center of the large lake in heaps, forming enormous waves. Rollers have been recorded in the Galilean Sea as high as 35 feet. No doubt the men who followed Jesus, the ones who earned their living by fishing the inland sea, had seen their friends set sail never to return to port. Their lives snatched away by the angry, unpredictable tempest. In an almost fatalistic way, they may have resigned that the same fate might also be theirs one day. They feared the storm at sea, and that is where our scripture begins. You can read it in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But as he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? A couple of years ago, I went out fishing with my fellow preacher and dear friend Randy Jessup. Some of you know Randy, so what I am about to share about him won't take much imagination to picture for yourself. That day, we went out fishing on one of our beautiful lakes. My boat's motor was broken, so we used the tiny trolling motor, which could move the boat slowly as we fished along the shore. We were having a great day. We caught a few fish watched a pair of nesting eagles, and every now and then, Randy would burst into song, alternating between hymns and his favorite Willie Nelson song, Mama, Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys. As it so happens, this lake is shaped like the letter Y. We had worked our way down to the fork of the Y and were merrily fishing away when I looked down one branch and realized I could not see the end. There was a gray mass I did not at first recognize. Then it dawned upon me that although the sky was blue and clear above our heads, that the gray wall I was staring at was a massive storm. I told Randy to reel in his line and I immediately started moving the little boat as fast as it would go. It wasn't fast enough. Before we knew it, we were caught on open water in the middle of a thunderstorm. Randy grabbed a paddle to help us move faster, and I began to bail the water rapidly weighing down the small craft as lightning cracked and a torrent was unleashed upon us. Then we started laughing. Yeah, you heard me right, laughing. I guess it amused us a bit to think this might be how two preachers might die. About that same time, Randy said, hey, Chuck, how about this? With that, he stood up in the boat, put out his arms, and yelled, Peace! Be still! And as God is my witness, nothing happened. The rain kept falling, and the lightning and thunder continued without interruption. When Randy sat back down, I said, Well, brother, it was worth a shot. He came to my home to see me, He came to comfort me after my wife's sudden death. As we visited for a while, we recalled our adventure on the lake, and then it struck me. I felt then and still do like the fisherman in the boat with Jesus. He has yet to calm the waters, and the sea I'm sailing through are overwhelming. I know he's going to calm the sea, but right now I am the one crying out, Lord, Don't you care that I'm about to drown? Lessons of faith are learned in the most difficult classrooms. On this occasion, the classroom was the raging storm, and the teacher was none other than Jesus. I also think that had I been there that day as a sailor, as a fisherman, as a disciple, I'd also have failed the exam. I'd have been screaming along with the rest of the crew at the snoozing Savior. Don't you even care that we're about to die? In Matthew, they say, Lord, save us, we're perishing. In Luke, they say, Master, Master, we are perishing. By the way, I like the way Mark puts it best it is raw, it is earthy, it is real. Matthew and Luke changed the disciples' rebuke to an appeal, presumably because of their discomfort of the disciples rebuking Jesus. Mark's let's, Mark lets us see the desperation of the disciples. On that boat, in that storm, all pretense is stripped away. All that remains is authentic faith or the lack of it. Either we genuinely have faith that Christ will see us through every storm or we don't. And it is here that I need to say something positive about real disciples, both then and now. Even though our faith may waver, even though we get angry, panic, and scream at God, even though we may set a bad example at first, in the end we know to whom we need to turn. Real disciples know that God really does care about us and that he will act and that is why we go to him when we face our personal life storms we want to dictate to god how he ought to act so did the disciples you know what they wanted jesus to do for them they were looking for another set of hands to help them bail water from the swamping boat our prayers are like that too we want a little help from god and we can get easily discouraged when God doesn't answer our prayers our way. We want release from immediate pain, but God wants to implement an eternal cure. Commenting on this passage, one biblical commentator has said this story calls us to a faith in the God who saves through and beyond death, not necessarily from death. Love it, Weems. Tells of a group of Christians who went on a mission trip to South America. Their leaders tried to prepare the group for what they would see. They were told that they would see poverty on a scale that they had never imagined. They were told that they would see people oppressed by their government. But when they arrived at their destination, they were overwhelmed by what they found, hunger, political oppression, children dying of hunger or disease. They wanted to help, but the scope of the problem completely overwhelmed them. Then one of the local people made this comment. He said, you Americans, you only know how to help folk when you are winning. Look in our faces and you will see faces of hope, not because we are winning, We've been losing all of our lives. These are our children we are burying. These are our stomachs that are empty. These are our necks that have the heavy foot of political oppression upon them. We are hopeful, not because we are winning, but because we are convinced that we are being faithful to what God is calling us to in this moment, And because of that, we have hope that when victory comes, it will be ours. It may come tomorrow. It may come in 300 years. But when it comes, it will be ours. I'd like to suggest to you that those folks have a pretty good understanding of how God is and how he acts. They do not see God at their beck and call, as a Lord who will get rid of the water in the boat, but as the master who will ultimately conquer the storm. Maybe we should learn that the storm is not the issue after all. Certainly it's not an issue for Jesus. He has complete mastery over the wind and the waves, whether they are physical or emotional. Could it be that the point of the story is that he will see us through even the fiercest of life's storms? Terry Anderson, who was abducted by the Hezbollah in Lebanon and imprisoned for almost seven years, was transformed by his experience. He said, we come closer to God at our lowest moments. It's easiest to hear God when you are stripped of pride and arrogance, when you have nothing to rely on except God. It's pretty painful to get to that point, but when you do, God's there. That, I think, is the point of this bit of Scripture. It is simply this. No matter what you are facing, God is there. He is right in the boat with you. He is ready to act whenever you call. He will act not according to our demands, but according to His will. And His will is better than our solutions. When stormy weather is your reality, whether you are a father, mother, man, or woman, son, or daughter, know that you are not alone. The master is with you. Everything will be okay. Have faith. Let your faith be contagious. Trust him. Jesus is in charge. Let us pray. Lord, when we are perishing, rescue us. We trust you know what is best. And that will take care of every storm. Give us faith, and then use our faith to testify of your grace. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. I would like to lead us all into a time of intentional prayer. I hope you will join me as you actively take a moment to lift prayers before God in this broadcast worship. Remember, you are not an audience, you are a congregation of Jesus, and to him we now turn our hearts by praying the prayer for mercy. After each request, I will say the words, Lord, have mercy. Whether you say them aloud with me or in your heart, I invite you to affirm with me our need of God's mercy. Let us pray. Lord, for those who have become ill and for the families left broken by 184,000 deaths of COVID-19, we pray, Lord, have mercy. For those who have lost income through death and loss of jobs, we pray, Lord, have mercy. For students who are struggling with a disrupted education, we pray, Lord, have mercy. For teachers who are struggling to find ways to teach in new and challenging situations, we pray, Lord, have mercy. For those who have lost loved ones through negligence or violence, we pray, Lord, have mercy. For those with sick and dying loved ones whom they cannot even visit or offer a hug, we pray, Lord, have mercy. For those who have trusted in princes and been disappointed, we pray, Lord, have mercy. For those who have had their lives devastated by storm and fire, we pray, Lord, have mercy. For those who fear the police and for the police who try to protect all regardless of race, we pray, Lord, have mercy. Lord, for those suffering from mental illnesses and depression, we pray. Lord, have mercy. Lord, for Christian people crushed by fallen leaders who even now are profiting from their sin, we pray. Lord, have mercy. Lord, for all God's children who need to love and accept one another and deeply experience your grace, we pray. Lord, have mercy. And now in a time of your personal prayer, I invite you to lift your individual prayers to God as you listen to Mary Gaucher sing, Mercy Now.
1: My Father... Could use a little mercy now the fruits of his labor falling right slowly on the ground. His work is almost over, it won't be long, he won't be I love my father. He could use some mercy now. My brother could use a little mercy now. He's a stranger to freedom. He's shacked his fear and his doubt the pain that he lives in it's almost more
0: Rev. Marcia McQueen is a superb Bible teacher, preacher, and friend. She will now examine the Bible study material we use each week called Nurturing Faith. If you do not have a copy, let me give you one. Contact or drop by First Baptist Church of Madison, North Carolina this week. Join now Rev. Marsha as she guides us in our study.
2: Today's Bible study is based on the Nurturing Faith Bible Studies curriculum. Dr. Tony Cartledge, professor at Campbell University Divinity School, and a personal friend and former pastor of mine, is the author. I value his teaching both because of his knowledge and wisdom, his integrity, and his pastoral care. I attribute most all that I share today to teaching resources from Nurturing Faith. There is a link to the online version of the Nurturing Faith journal on our church website, which you've already heard earlier in the broadcast, www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.org, all lowercase. You can access the journal with the password provided on our website. Our Bible text for consideration today is Jeremiah 15:15 15, 15 through 21 if you care to read along. Jeremiah 15:15 15, 15 through 21. If you listened to last week's broadcast, we were considering Isaiah near the end of the exile. But today, we go back in time to pre-exile, before the Jews were taken into Babylonian captivity. Jeremiah was preaching judgment to the children of Israel in Jerusalem. Throughout the history of Israel, there was a repeated cycle in the relationship between God's chosen ones and himself. A cycle of Faith in God and righteous obedience, then disobedience, punishment, and eventual repentance, and beginning again with faith and obedience. Over and over, faith and obedience, disobedience, repentance, and a new beginning. Jeremiah was a prophet who believed he had been called by God from before birth to speak God's words to his people. His call was like a fire in his bones that he had to express, but not because he enjoyed preaching doom. However, Jeremiah knew that they were in a stage of disobedience and concern mainly for themselves. He knew that unless they repented and once again became obedient, destruction was coming. Our text for today is partly a lament from Jeremiah, complaining to God with anger about feeling abused and mistreated, even deserted by God. He could have sung the song made famous by He-Hawk, Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Pardon the singing, but get the message. After each chorus there was a four-line poem designed to amuse, then the chorus would repeat with loud moans. Have you ever sung that? Have you ever felt that? Really meant that? Have you ever dared to confront God with hard questions? Many of us have undoubtedly asked why. In the face of personal trials or other disasters or tragedies or suffering or illness of ourselves or others. Perhaps in the recent past. Jeremiah was a depressed prophet. He has been called the weeping prophet. Listen to the text for today, Jeremiah 15 Verses 15 through 21, New American Standard Bible. You who know, O Lord, remember me, take notice of me, and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. Do not, in view of your patience, take me away. Know that for your sake I endure reproach. Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I have been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I did not sit in the circle of merrymakers, nor did I exult. Because of your hand upon me, I sat alone, for you filled me with indignation. Why has my pain been perpetual? And my wound incurable, refusing to be healed. Will you indeed be to me like a deceptive stream with water that is unreliable? Therefore, thus says the Lord If you return, then I will restore you. Before me, you will stand. And if you extract the precious from the worthless, you will become my spokesman. They are for their part may turn to you, but as for you, you must not turn to them. Then I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. And though they fight against you, they will not prevail over you, for I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord." So I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked, and I will redeem you from the grasp of the violent. Though you might have heard or even said, I know you're not supposed to ask God why. Note Jeremiah's question of the Lord in verse 18 Why has my pain been perpetual? In the message, a contemporary version by Eugene Peterson, Jeremiah's complaint was something like this, in more contemporary language. Don't stand back while they ruin me. Just look at the abuse I'm taking. I never joined the party crowd in their laughter and their fun. Led by you, I went off by myself. You'd filled me with indignation. Their sin had me seething. But why? Why this chronic pain? This ever-worsening wound and no healing in sight. You're nothing, God, but a mirage. A lovely oasis in the distance, and then nothing. How did God respond to Jeremiah? God didn't strike him down with a lightning bolt. Did God rebuke him? Did God defend himself? Did God explain what his plan was or is? Did God minimize Jeremiah's suffering? No, God didn't say, now calm down, it's not as bad as you think. No, God's ego is not threatened by feverish and angry prayers. God can hear our shouts and bear our anger and our questions and doubts without being offended, because God understands that life can be hard and that following God's way is not always popular. Neither does God ignore us when we complain, nor did he ignore Jeremiah. God instead said, if you turn back, I will take you back and you shall stand before me Was Jeremiah's complaint intended to be like a resignation? We don't know, but surely he felt like he was ready to quit. But God instructed him to continue serving as God's voice to the people. God reminded him he was not to become like the people and join in their merrymaking just to gain acceptance. But rather, it was their responsibility to turn to God, heeding Jeremiah's warnings and becoming more like him. As Dr. Cartledge said, Jeremiah was not the Joel Osteen of the Old Testament. Jeremiah knew his message put him on the outs with others. From the start, Jeremiah was an outsider. He was a descendant of an exiled priest, and his message was not a popular one. The priests and prophets of his time were befriending and aiding a, and I quote, corrupt society that benefited the rich to the detriment of the poor and carried on a ritual religion with little attention to ethical behavior, end quote. Jeremiah was pronouncing judgment against Jerusalem and Judea for being persistently selfish and refusing to follow God's teaching. Jeremiah was a student of current affairs, and he could see Babylon coming their way. However, the court prophets and the priests claimed that God would never let Jerusalem falter because that's where the temple was. And the temple was where God lived. So surely God wouldn't destroy Jerusalem. They felt a false sense of security in their safe dwelling, the city of Jerusalem. So they had little motivation to heed the prophet's call to repentance and obedience. They were fine, they thought. The officials tried their best to silence Jeremiah. the officials being both court persons and religious persons priests, they wouldn't allow him to enter the temple. they tried to hush him. He tried to get away and was eventually arrested, beaten, and thrown into a priest in, into a prison operated by the priests. Even his family turned against him. I'd be depressed too, wouldn't you? Faithful living, like faithful preaching, may put us at odds with our culture. But God reminded Jeremiah he wasn't finished with him. God told him... <clears throat> excuse me... um." God told him that he would take him strong he would make him strong like a fortified wall of bronze God promised in verse 20 I am with you to save you and deliver you Jeremiah did remain faithful he continued to preach when the Babylonians took others into exile they allowed Jeremiah to stay in Jerusalem But sometime within the next decade, before Jerusalem was destroyed, Jeremiah found his way to Egypt and continued to prophesy and send letters of encouragement to the children of God in Babylonian captivity. So what does this biblical story have to do with us? Consider these questions related to the happenings of Jeremiah's day. How has modern-day religion gotten comfortable and cozy with the world of power, politics, and society? Who has the more authoritative voice, religion or society and politics? And why do you say that? When has the church gotten complacent in current affairs, thinking and knowing that God would never allow something bad to happen, only to sit back and watch something bad happen? Looking back, what should the church have done in those times? What could individual Christians have done? When have you felt alone and abandoned by others because of your beliefs and convictions? What was your stance? How did that differ from those around you? And what ultimately happened? When have you felt like Jeremiah, a dry wadi, that is, a stream bed in the desert that runs with Promising water when the spring rains come, but quickly dries up when summer begins. When you have felt dry, what was it that kept you faithful or brought you back to the faithful and quenched you like a fountain of living water? When and how has God been faithful to you? Your questions, your desire to give up, and your want to throw in the towel. How did God treat you? What got you to this point in your faith journey? In talking about Jeremiah's boldness with God, our lesson writer says, Jeremiah, like Job, learned that God respects an honest prayer more than empty words couched in platitudes. What is your most honest prayer to God? Do we ever feel a hint of the tension tearing at Jeremiah's soul? At Jeremiah's very heart? Or are we so self focused, that the needs of a hurting world and the call to a life of service don't even register with us. Do we not complain because we don't really care? Please pray with me. Loving God, thank you for Jeremiah and his courage to live out your call. to struggle with his relationship with you we have all been called to follow you and we too struggle with what to do help us to open our eyes to the injustices around us help us to open our ears to the cries of those in need help us to open our minds to think creatively of ways we can make a difference. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us this hour for worship and Bible study. I pray that your journey through these days will be with the assurance of God's love and grace. Our website will be a great way for you to learn more and join hearts with a church that loves you. Now write this down and contact us www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.org I'm Dr. Chuck McGathey and I mean it when I remind you in the end no matter what comes your way there is nothing but grace. Let's close our worship today by listening to the choir as they perform Sing to the Lord a new song.